Hi, this is Dr. MJ coming to you from beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. This is the Women in Dentistry podcast where we feature women in dentistry making waves and leading the industry through the next decade. I am your host, Dr. Mary Jane Hanlon, a former dental assistant, dental hygienist, and now dentist. I am very pleased to introduce you today to Dr. Mona Patel. Dr. Patel practices in Abington, Pennsylvania. Her commitment to excellence started at entering the University of Birmingham Queen Elizabeth Dental School at the age of 17 and obtaining her bachelor's degree of dental surgery at the age of 21. Dr. Patel practiced in England a short time until she moved to the United States of America in 1992. In order to pursue her career in America, she attended the University of Pennsylvania Dental School, where she obtained her doctorate of dental medicine. During this time, she was director of the preclinical program for past students. She also served as clinical instructor for the final year dental students. She's co-founder of Dynamic Dental Divas, an all-woman study group. The women's study group is designed to help female dentists advance and develop their knowledge and techniques. Dr. Patel started this group with a focus on health, wellness, and comprehensive dentistry. It is now my pleasure to bring you to my interview with Dr. Mona Patel. Mona, I am so excited to have you on the show today, and I can't wait to share your experiences with the audience. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, I'm really appreciative of your time. And, you know, obviously at the end of a long day for you to come and share your story with me is, is a lot to ask. So I appreciate that. So thank you so much. So if you wouldn't mind, um, please start by telling us a little bit how you got into dentistry. Absolutely. And- And, you know, it's my pleasure to be on here and to be able to share my story. And I think what you're doing is is really amazing. So, yeah, wow, my story. I decided to become a dentist at the early age of 13. And it was the reason that I decided I wanted to do dentistry was because I came from a very medical family. Everyone in my family was a doctor or is a doctor, including my father and my grandfather and my father's brothers, my mother's brothers. (laughs) So, um, and I was like, well, I, I like medical, but I don't want to be on call like my father and I'm a woman and I will want a family and I want to have work-life balance. So at the age of 13, I was already thinking like that. But, um, so I, I, I know, right? And I'm like thinking back and thinking, what, where, where was this thought process coming from? But, you know, at the age of 13, that's what I did. And um, I actually went to dental school at the age of 17 because I grew up in England. And so you're probably wondering how, how the heck am I here? So I'll kind of delve into my story a little bit. Um, I was actually born in Africa, in Uganda. And uh, yeah, I'm, and I'm of Indian descent. But it's very, very common, you know, that a lot of Indian people settled in places like Kenya, Uganda. So I, you know, my grandfather um, settled in a little town called Masaka, which is just outside of Kampala, the capital. And he was the the doctor there. And he was also the dentist there. Um, And I found that out later. Wow. He was a dentist too? Yes, but you know, I will get into that story. (laughs) I'm sure that's a long, complicated story. (laughs) 
So, yeah, so I was born in Kampala and, um, you know, we lived in Uganda. And at that time, my dad was actually studying medicine and he was actually studying medicine in England. So, you know, I he would come and visit, but we really didn't see much of him. And my mom was living with my, you know, grandparents, um, her in-laws, and we had a big family. And, um, you know, I was brought up in a lot of love and, you know, lots of interactions with, with family members. And then with Uganda, Idi Amin happened. And, you know, that's where people started leaving. Uh, just because it wasn't safe and my grandfather tried to hold it out till the till the last minute and um, you know apparently and I don't remember this because I was three years old um, you know it was the middle of the night leave everything the house the cars everything and um, you know my mom and I found ourselves um, you know on a plane heading towards England and we joined dad and dad by that time was just finishing up his um, studies and had just gotten a place in a little practice in um, Warwickshire, which is the Midlands, it's in England, right in the middle, the Midlands. And he actually practiced there for 48 years. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so he was there and I grew up there and you know, you know, um, we, once we were there, you know, we settled um, in, into life there. English uh, education is a little different. So you go right into medical school and dental school uh, right from high school. So I was already a year ahead. So I actually went to dental school when I was 17. And I'd actually just turned 17. I turned 17 in June and I started dental school in September. <laughs> yeah. And dental school in England at that time was four years, only four years. Yeah. So there I was at the age of 21, set loose in the world as a dentist at the age of 21. And it was interesting because at that point I had no life skills. I didn't even know how to talk to a person. You know, I mean, I literally would go down my head, my head would sort of like be uh, looking at the floor and I'd mumble, hello, Mr. Smith, I'm Dr. Patel and I'm going to extract a tooth. <laughs> no, no, no connection. I'm sure that evoked a lot of confidence at the time. <laughs> yes. So, you know, um, I, I practiced there for about a year and a half at a, a, a an English practice, which was really national health based. So, you know, we really didn't do any um, cosmetic work. You know, it was either patients chose what the government would cover and extract teeth, dentures, you know, fillings and, you know, and fillings, amalgams and, and things like that. Well, in the meantime, after I graduated dental school, you know, truly in Indian tradition, which is no longer um, the way. Um, and I'm sh my two daughters, I have a 25 year old and a 21 year old are definitely not going to do, you know, what we did in you know, the past, yeah. And um, yeah, so mom and dad were like, hey, time for you to get settled. You got your degree, now it's time for you to get married. And, um, you know, they cast the, the net far and wide, you know, in the community. And um, somehow I, I was introduced to my husband and my husband actually lived in America. And yeah. 
It's a big transition, especially if your parents are still in England. Oh, huge transition, huge transition. And not just because, you know, there's so many um, layers of that. There's so many differences in culture just from Western England to America, you know. And then I also went from a pretty, you know, um, modern Indian family to a very traditional Indian family. So, you know, there's a lot of, you know, changes that I had to make and, um, you know, go through. But uh, yeah, so I, I, I was introduced to my husband and um, it was just like this little, you know, chemistry boom. We met like three times before we were actually married. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. But you liked him right away which is wonderful. I liked him right away. I also thought he was pretty darn cute for an Indian guy. <laughs> nice, even better. So I think, yeah, so that was, I think, you know, one of the, the big reasons, but there was, a, you know, just this instant chemistry. And so, yeah, and we've been married 29 years. Unbelievable. Yeah, I got married, I moved here, and um, uh, I knew for sure that I was still going to be a dentist. So I had researched all of that. So um, when we decided to, to get married, he'd actually come to meet my parents the first time. And that was in March of 92. And um, his parents came too. And so they said, okay, well, you know, we don't believe in long engagement. So we just got registered married. <laughs> and then our wedding date was set in August. Our Indian wedding date was set in August. So in the meantime, I, I was like, okay, well, so I studied for the uh, national boards for America. And at that time, they let me go to um, Chicago to their corporate offices, the American Dental Association. And I was able to sit boards one and two at the same time. Oh, my gosh, that's great. Yeah. So I did that in May, got my national boards, um, passed those. And I was like, OK, great. Got married. And then I started to, to apply to dental schools. And I say dental schools, the only choice really in my area was um, University of Pennsylvania. So I applied there and luckily I got in because it was the only school that I applied to. And I started, um, I did the two year pass program for foreign dental, dental um, people. And at the same time, um, a year later, while I was still there, I ended up being the co-director of the preclinical program for the income coming foreign dentists. And then as I was graduating, I got to be on the clinical floor as clinical faculty. Oh my gosh, how exciting, good for you. Yeah, so I think it was actually my first taste of sharing knowledge. And now when I think back, back on it, I, I realize how much I really enjoy um, being able to help somebody else not make the same mistakes that I did or just pass on, you know, our, our clinical tips and tricks because what we do, it, you know, maybe a small percentage of the time it goes perfectly, but most of the time it doesn't. And you have to have those solutions and you can only learn those by seeing or having someone with experience pass them on. And so, you know, that's what I do now, mm -hmm. you know, 29 years um, as a dentist, 26 years it will be that I've been at this practice, um, which I actually recently, uh, recently sold uh, just before COVID. So I sold it at my 25th, yeah. Oh my gosh, 
tell me a little bit more about that. So did you start a practice from scratch? No, so I, I was so fortunate. I've been really um, fortunate in my dental career to be so supported by so many great mentors and people who have showed me so many good things about dentistry. So mm. when I graduated from Penn, I actually was hired at three practices and all three practices were fee for service. And they wanted, they were looking for an associate, but they didn't want to commit to someone until they had had them there for a little short time. So I actually ended up working six days a week and I was two days at each practice trying to figure out where, you know, what my place was. And um, yeah, and, and uh, there was this one practice that I just, just kept feeling like it was home. And even though the uh, owner doctor, Bill, was, he was actually really scary. I mean, the first couple of times that I was there, they didn't have patients for me. So I thought, okay, I'll just take out my book and I'll start reading until my next patient's there. And he came up to me and he goes, oh no, you put that book away. If you're here, you're gonna come into the room and you're gonna watch me. And it was the best thing he ever did because I learned how to talk to patients. I watched and I observed and I learned so much just from that. So yeah, and, and then it ended up that um, he had a partner who unfortunately had a genetic heart disease and needed a heart transplant. So he had a heart transplant at Temple University back in 1995. And so I took over his half of the practice as an associate. And then Bill um, decided he didn't want to ever be caught with a practice when he was close to retiring and not have a way out. So he, he said, you buy it. And I was like, okay, I'm three years in as an associate. If I don't buy it, where do I go? I already know patients. And I, I know, you know, the kind of dentistry that's being done here. And it's great because he, he went to Panky. It was all Panky, um, you know, aligned. And uh, so I went to my husband and he was like, you want to buy it? And I'm like, yeah, why not? Like everyone in my family owns a medical practice. So I, I'm not going to work for someone for the rest of my life. So I'm just going <laughs> to buy the practice. So he was like, okay. And, you know, that's what I did. And I had like, I had gotten the worst financing terms, like interest rates were really high, everything. But I bought the practice. And Bill, God bless him, he stayed on for about six years. And I bought the practice while I was pregnant with my second child. Wow. And yeah, yeah, I, I bought the practice back in uh, 99. And she was born in June of 2000. I bought in December of 99. <laughs> So I bought the practice and then that's when reality hit because yeah, so many things that I did not know, you know, um, I was the associate and my team was lovely. And then I was the owner and in my, uh, you know, my at, back then it was a staff. Now I have a team, but then the staff were like, you're still the associate in their heads, right? the owner bill was still the owner in his head and as i started to step into ownership and realize that i don't want to practice with a 
a book to write appointment times in and then erase the name if they canceled a call and pencil them in in another day. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wanted software. I wanted electronic record management. Yeah. And so I bought that in and, you know, and that's when I saw that I had an uphill battle in converting the team to technology and to what's happening that was new in dentistry at that time. And it was a struggle. Um, You know, it wasn't easy. It was also a FIFA service practice that uh, traditionally was two dentists, two male dentists who, and it was a very preppy, preppy office. Um, Not a lot of uh, diversity there either. And, you know, you know, suddenly it's like, there's this young woman, but not only is she young, she's a woman, but she's got brown skin. (laughs) And yeah, so I had to, in my head, I thought, okay, I have to prove myself and I have to be better than anybody. So I, I just went on this uh, road of just trying to be the best um, that I could be. And, uh, you know, I learned lots of lessons. I, you know, made lots of mistakes, but I ended up having a very really fulfilling, rewarding career with a, a practice that's equipped with such great technology. And the great thing is that as those changes happened and at that time, Bill, you know, after about five years, he, he retired and he would, he comes in and he'll, you know, when we go out for lunch, he will be like, I'm really proud of you. You've made this practice yours and you've made it. And I'm really happy that you're taking care of my patients. Mm-hmm. What's even better just today, I had a conversation with a patient. She's been with me. Um, I've known her for 25 years and, um, and she's like, you know, I remember what it was like and you've just made this practice so beautiful and I just can't believe it's 25 years. So, you know, it really rewarding to have those conversations with patients to see your teenagers grow up, get married and bring their children in. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember that well. And it's, it's been almost 10 years since I've sold my practice and I still get patients calling me today Okay, MJ, I need someplace else. Okay, MJ, what about, what about this? And should I do that? And I feel, I always feel badly, but my transition did not go as well as, as yours did. So, um, because I started my practice from scratch and I transitioned when I sold it, but unfortunately it did not go as well as, as yours did. Well, yeah, well, my transition when I sold it is a story as well. And you let me know when you want to hear that story. <laughs> some point we should talk about that as a separate subject because I think that there'd be a lot of really great guidance we could provide to young women but I think that that'll just you know detract from what we're trying to to do today so definitely let's let's continue that conversation now you sold the current practice that you're in now or did you start another practice again No, I uh, sold my current practice and I carefully researched who I sold it to. And, you know, at around maybe three years ago, I really was getting tired and fatigued and I wasn't looking to sell. And I thought I would practice till I was 
60, but I'd had a series of maternity leaves. Now, when I talk about maternity leaves, I'm talking about five maternity leaves, one after the other. And when you have a highly, yes. And if you have a highly trained team who uh, all learned together and you are doing dentistry at, at a certain level, you know, um, full mouth rehabs, uh, sleep, all those things. And you start to lose people on your team and you're trying to replace them because they're on maternity leave. And God bless them that they decided, four out of the five decided they wanted to stay at home with the babies. Like, amazing, amazing. And, and I really applaud that. I think it's so fantastic. But then to try and practice at the same level when you were trying to onboard people at different levels was such a challenge and I was so tired and it tied out the existing team members and we were all just on overload. And in the meantime, you know, my husband to, to back in 2018, I said to him, I'm really struggling now. Um, I don't know if it's just because I've taken on so much. I'm, you know, I'm teaching, I'm, you know, faculty for clinical mastery series for sleep group solutions. I'm going here and there and, you know, helping other dentists and I'm running the practice, but I'm also doing, you know, the QuickBooks and the 401k and all of that. I need help. I, I don't think I can continue to do this. I, I want to just practice dentistry. And he was in corporate with so much experience and, and he was like, you know what? I'm gonna come on board. I will take care of the business side. You do the dentistry. And he came on board and, and one of the things he's, yeah, which was so great. And, and for someone who's not even in the business, he learned so quickly. I mean, he was unbelievable. But what his thought was is you are so fatigued. You don't have the team that you need and it is getting harder and harder to find you know, those amazing team members, um, you know, and train them up. And at that time, we actually were approached, I think back in 2019, in January, we were approached with an offer to sell. And we actually didn't take it seriously. But then we got another offer. And yeah, so and, and I said to my husband, something, you know, like, it's, it's almost like the universe is saying, Right. So we should look at it. So early in 2019, we started to um, look at the office and we worked with um, uh, this great guy from DDS Match. Love, love him, Joe McGonagall. And he sat down with me and he goes, what do you want? You know, are you ready to sell? What do you want? Do you want an associate? Let's talk about what you want. And he was really amazing at like drawing out of me what did I want to do with the skills and knowledge I had? And um, I ended up selling the practice, but I'm there as an associate in the practice that I have always been in, using the same technology, seeing the same patients, using the same processes. But I work three days a week. I have up to 12 weeks off and uh, I get to keep my team that I have now. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's like the perfect resolution to the fatigue issue because now all the headaches aren't yours. 
I think that's one of the biggest things that we don't realize or recognize when we go to buy a practice is the amount of work it really does take in order to run the practice well. Well, that's the thing. You think it's all clinical, but it's not. You have you have a clinical hat. You have hours for clinical, but as a woman, and that's what I've been sharing with the dental students that I teach, um, because now I get to give back. So, uh, you know, on one of the days I go into University of Pennsylvania and I get to be a clinical um, faculty person there and teach. But I also love, um, you know, I do talks for the Penn Dental Women and I just did a talk for the Temple Dental Women Association. But you have to, and they have no idea because they don't teach this at school, but mm -hmm. they have no idea. But you have a clinical hat and then you have your business hat. And that is actually super important. And I, I've told every single young dental student and young dentist that I know, you need to know how to do every single administrative process in your office because you cannot expect to hire someone who may have, uh, you know, um, a certain amount of schooling, but who does not have a business education, right? Because in, in, in our office managers and our administrators are usually uh, moms or, you know, people who've just kind of fallen into that. And now they're your office manager and you're saying, okay, run my practice. You're absolutely right. Right. We are giving control of our practices to people who are carrying around what they've learned from other practices, mm -hmm. be it good or bad. Right. So I tell all of my, you know, mentees and whoever will listen to me, because I love talking, but here, you have to know every single administrative process. You have to ask yourself, how do you want your financial arrangements to be made with your patients? What are you comfortable with? Give them the, give those guidelines to the person you're bringing on to have that discussion. How often do you wanna run statements? How often do you wanna um, have insurance claims checked? How often are you, you know, uh, wanting for your clinical team to take x-rays and hygiene. Like you have to know everything of what you want. So, and that's really daunting, right? But if they know ahead of time, they can start thinking as they get out into the, you know, dental world, they can start thinking like, you know, I, I, I really need to have, give more guidance to the people that are working for me. That's amazing, amazing feedback that you're providing them and, and something that many don't realize. And the leadership piece of this, I think, is the critically important piece that's missing, especially when you have somebody at 22 to 26 years old graduating from dental school. Sure, they've been in college all this time and they've learned a lot and they've, you know, matured, but they don't have any any experience working with a team and especially with women working with other women, you know, that adds a whole other dimension when it's a male leader versus an all female staff, it's one thing, but when it's a female leader with an all female staff, it's totally different. It's very different. And, and that's definitely something that I go into with um, again, you know, the dentist that I talk to men are different. Mm -hmm. Men don't see, a lot of things they they're you know I mean like look at our husbands a lot of time they're just you know 
oblivious to certain things, you know, it's like, they don't, you know, sometimes my husband doesn't even realize why I'm upset at him. He doesn't think I'm upset at all, right? So men have a different thought process. We women, when we're in an office, we're in there and we know everything. We have to know. It's just our nature, right? So you get to know everything. You are also, you have to not be drawn in. You have to learn how to not to be drawn into the drama of the other women. You have to know what the boundaries are. You have to know what your boundaries are. You have to be uncomfortable um, or rather you have to be comfortable with uncomfortable conversations and you have to be comfortable with that person. Let them sit in their discomfort because if you try and make them feel better after you've just told them that they had to do something a little differently, you're negating it all. It's like telling your it's like telling your child, you've got to eat the broccoli and the child starts crying and you just go, okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Don't worry about it this time. Well, and they're gonna, you know, what is your team gonna do? Your team wants to help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is that as women, we get super friendly and super close. And so what I tell everyone is you can still be friendly with your team but you cannot blur the line that makes you the employer mm-hmm. and them the employees. Because if, once you have to hold them accountable, you've, you, you've, you're, you're lost if you are their friend. Right. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's a tough line. It's a, it's a hard lesson to learn. But once you've learned it, you can have fun with your team. You can do great things. You have, you'll have great energy, but you will not worry about having a conversation when someone's, you know, maybe falling below the performance that is expected of them. And a lot of times, like, it's really, it's really you. And I tell my, my younger colleagues, know yourself. What kind of leader are you? If you're not a leader, that's okay. You'll learn to be, but then start working on that. Take courses, not for just clinical dentistry. Do some, you know, coaching, um, you know, continuing education. Get a coach. Get a coach is the most important thing. I agree. Yeah, get a coach. Um, Work through the things that make you uncomfortable when you have to have that discussion with someone, right? Mm -hmm. So I like a story... I have a broker that I got friendly with and she's amazing. And every now and then she'll call me and she'll be like, oh, can you talk to a doctor? She's about to buy a practice and she wants to, and um, can you recommend a consultant or a coach? And my first question is, okay, what type of personality is she? Is she super confident in herself? Or you know, is she just looking for practice systems or is she someone who is needing help with leadership? Because that's two different you know, coaches and consultants. So, you, you know, I think younger people, when they're setting out into a business of owning, you really have to know yourself. I agree. So this, this brings me to wanting to know and understand more about your background as far as, you know, who, who advised you when you were younger, especially, you know, so, so many questions came from your story about being in Uganda, then England, and then the United States. You know, first of all, that transition from England to the United States without your family, that must have been really traumatic, number one. 
And number two, you know, did you lose that? You know, many times our parents act like a sounding board for us. And with them being so far away, did you find that was a struggle that that you didn't have that anymore? Yeah, I mean, luckily, you know, I, I was able to call them, but it's not the same. And, you know, when when I moved here, I, I didn't have any family really around me. And it was my husband and all of his family. And um, they were definitely a lot more traditional. And, you know, I was I was an Indian daughter in law you know, and uh, so the first five years, I, I truly lost myself. I, I, I really didn't know who I was. And the only place that I felt like I knew who I was, was when I was treating my patients. Yeah, it was at the office. And um, yeah, and, and, and that, my, my patients became my family. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that was yeah so it was definitely difficult you know that transition i can't imagine so what is the one single best piece of advice you've ever gotten and who was it from was it from a colleague in dentistry or was it maybe from your parents or your grandfather so you know the 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 this advice actually came from three different people Mm. at different times And it was my grandfather the first time. And it was always, whatever you do, do it right. And if it's not right, admit it and make it right. That's right. And then my father, you know, um, always said the same thing to me as well. Probably got it from, you know, my granddad. (laughs) And then Bill, the owner, the previous owner of the practice, um, you know, he drummed it into my head. He goes, Mona, if, if it's not right, if that crown doesn't fit, fit right. Do it over. Do it over and don't charge a patient, but make it right. And so that's the way I have lived. And I'll tell you what, we all think we have to be perfect and know everything. And I, again, to my younger colleagues, I always say, it's okay not to know everything. And it's okay to be vulnerable with your team and your patients because they'll love you more for being human. And when I say to a patient, oh, I don't like, I don't like what I've done. At the beginning, they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, you know, um, yeah. You know, they're like, what? And then you explain and then they come back and they see, you know, that you've made it better. And now, you know, gosh, even after how many years in practice, you're still going to have days where something just doesn't go the way you want it. And um, now I just say, hey, MJ, I I don't like the way this looks um, on this x-ray. The fit is not what I would want for me. And my patients just look at me and go, okay, I'll just come back. Yeah. Exactly, because now they know, right? Now they know. Well, I think part of our personality type and the reason, you know, why most dentists come into the profession is that perfectionistic side of our personalities gets drawn to it, I think. Um, And, you know, we work in such a minute world. I think we love that for whatever reason. There's something about our personalities that makes that click for us. Yeah. And, and again, that's what it is. You're looking, yeah, you're looking, 
through you yeah you're looking through your loops and then when you look up after you're doing dentistry you're looking at everything else under loops and that has bad and good right mm -hmm. and so yeah um who do you think has made the biggest impact on your life um my husband yeah and it's interesting because he's not the typical indian husband he has supported me in every decision I've made about the practice, but also my own personal growth when it came to learning new, new things. I went on a CE journey from 2012. I did the SPEAR curriculum. I did the clinical mastery curriculum and I did um, over a hundred hours of CE to, in the last two years for sleep apnea. And yeah, and he has never questioned that. And in fact, he celebrates that I have the knowledge and the skills and what I do for patients. So just having his full support has been, you know, the biggest, I think, impact on my life because I've never had the feeling of like, I can't do that because he's always there to say you can. So I want you to share something with, with your husband because not in all of the interviews that I've done so far has anyone ever said their spouse. So whatever this man has and whatever he shares with you, it's amazing. And you, you should really share with him that feedback because it's an incredible human being that, that he must be, he must be. Yeah. I mean, and he's, he's done the same for our, both our daughters. I mean, you know, he's, he's just always there to say, yeah, it can be done. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, after that, I think, Clinical Mastery Series with John Nosti, uh, Jason Lelitsky, Jen Janicki. Jen Janicki is the course director for that. And they had a huge impact on the, the learning, but also the implementation of that kind of dentistry, which is TMD, occlusion, full mouth rehab, and you know veneers into my practice. But what was the, the way that they teach it instilled so much confidence and leadership in me that it made a huge impact on how my practice went. So much so that from being a mentor for them, I'm now the director of the sleep course there. And yeah, and because of that, I've gone on, I'm, I'm co-presenting a lecture at the American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine about um, obstructive sleep apnea and how it's particular, particularly affects women who are so underdiagnosed because people are not aware of the connection um, with older women, with younger women and um, sleep related breathing disorders. And so they, they Jen Janicki was one of the, 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 the people who really gave me a lot of confidence in myself. And then the clinical faculty, um, John Nosti, and um, Jason Olitsky were amazing at teaching me the skills that I needed clinically and, you know, in leadership. Yeah. 
Well, congratulations. That's amazing. That's a lot of CE. I'm, I'm a CE um, attendee as well. And, and I, I have done, you know, Dawson, you name it. And, and, you know, it takes a lot of time and effort and money to invest in, in yourself that way. However, I, I didn't feel there was any other way to do it, just like you. You, you, ha you just have to, you have to go there, but um, you have to also give yourself time and make a plan on how you're going to implement it into your practice. And I see so many of our colleagues who are looking for something that they're missing in their practice and they just keep going to the CEs and going and going and going, but not giving themselves a chance to take a step back, process and integrate it into their office. Absolutely. Yeah. If you look back on your life, do you consider yourself to be an extremely confident woman or do you think that that's something that you developed over time? Um, I developed that over time. You know, uh, hey, listen, I'm, I am actually an introvert. I wouldn't know it. You would not know it, right? Now, everyone laughs when I say that, but I'm happy at home, you know, with my meditation, my spiritual books, my gardening, you know, my crystals, whatever, you know, <laughs> right? But um, confidence comes with time. Confidence comes from knowing who you are and knowing that, whatever you do, you're always doing it with the best of your intention. Mm -hmm. And that gives you that inner, you know, confidence. And, and that's what I tell, so I had a dental student the other day and she was struggling because the patient, she was like, she kept saying the patient's really high maintenance. And, you know, she, the, you know, the patient's energy was making her nervous. And she's like, oh, she should be in a private practice. And I'm like, hey, stop, listen. Anything that you're doing for that patient, number one, you're doing with your best intention. Mm -hmm. You're not going there to do something that's not right. Your intention is to do the best that you can with what you know for this patient. But remember, it's the patient's choice to come to the dental school. So she, it's her choice to come here for someone to learn on her. So go learn. Don't worry about her. And how did that change her, the student's move? Did, did it help her? Yeah, I mean, yeah, at the end of the afternoon, she did. She goes, Dr. T, I learned so much on practice, manage, uh, patient management from you in that two hours compared to, you know, any time before. Because as women, we actually, we have a tendency to take on the other person's urgency or energy. So we react to it and we just have to learn that's not your emotion, that's theirs and you gotta separate it. I do remember doing that many times in my own private practice and you're absolutely right. You have to separate yourself from that. Um, I, I don't know if, you, if Penn has a wellness program but we actually um, had the first wellness program for dental students in the country at Tufts. And it was started by Dr. Christina Passman. And um, she teaches all of our students to meditate. And, you know, once a week she's doing yoga with them. And so, you know, it's, in, it's critically important to learn how to manage yourself during those stressful times. Yeah, I agree. And I, and, you know, um, 
there's a great, I, I learned my techniques from uh, Dr. Fern White, who does a program for dentists, female dentists. She's based out of Australia and it's called Practice Your Passion. And it's re it really is about going in and how do you change your state from being <laughs> to, you know, going with the flow. And it's just simple things. I mean, I tell my team, I'm like, hey, listen, you know, when you're coming to tell me something about a patient, just give me the facts. Don't give me your story about your interaction. Just give me the facts because I don't want to take on your energy and then have an interaction with a patient that's not authentically me, you know? And so they've learned. And it's just even simple things like taking a break and moving jumping jacks or doing a silly dance in your office, but you can change it. Or if you're going to do a big uh, full math rehab case, it's like, like psyching yourself up and going, yeah, you know, I, I have this, I've got this. And really letting your cheerleader voice, you know, talk louder than your gremlin voice. And yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, to your question, no, I wasn't super confident. And, you know, even now, like I'll still fall into the imposter syndrome, like who am I? Like, you know, but you, as you get older and as you have more experience, you realize that there's so many things that you can share, like your mistakes or challenges that you faced when you storytell that it actually can help people. And, and that's what, when I meet with these young dental students, it literally reminds me of sitting around a fire and passing on those stories, right? And then, you know, suddenly it's, it's, it's made someone change their thought process. It's great, it's great. So I just wanna end with one thing somebody, that everybody would be surprised to know about you. Oh, <laughs> sure. Um, I am, I'm a huge Star Wars and Star Trek and uh, Marvel fan. I collected Marvel comics. Yeah, I have a lightsaber. I have uh, my Yoda dolls right over there. <laughs> And this is my uh, office in my basement, but I have uh, in my basement a wall of all the Marvel comics and characters. Wow. And Where did that start? Gosh, when I was a kid. And I still love it. Like any anything that's, you know, anything to do with sci-fi. Oh my gosh, I love it. And, um, and maybe that's why I got the technology <laughs> in my office because I'm like, <laughs> but yeah, like I, I really love, and if I could be a, if I could be a, a, a superhero, and this is crazy because I've actually thought about this, I would be Wolverine on the outside, but Yoda on the inside, and I would be wisdom with claws. Wisdom with, with paws. I love it. With claws. <laughs> I love it. I think that's a great way to end this. I can't, oh my gosh, Mona, that is awesome. I cannot thank you enough. I think that we need, we could, we could probably spend another hour and a half talking because we have so much in common and so much to share. I would love to connect with you again on the possibly talking about the, how, what it's like to transition a practice and some experiences that you might able to shed some light on because I too have 
some experiences that, that, that might be helpful to women that are about ready to transition? Yeah, I would, I, I really would like to share my experience because there's, there's things that I could have done better to make it smoother and also just managing expectations and um, asking yourself certain questions before you go into that transition. Um, so I'd love to share my experience. Then we're going to talk again. So Mona, I can't thank you enough for your time today. Thank you so much for being here and, and sharing your story with the audience. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the Women in Dentistry podcast with Dr. MJ Hanlon. If you like our show and want to know more about us, check out our website, thewomenindentistry.com, or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us for our next episode as we bring you another amazing woman leading the way for the next generation.